Blog Talk Radio. RGM. The 
ass back with a ass while you blast at him so fast to trade ash and mass kick those spray him get cash the fit of the nigga I figure my pockets with bum it's chilly in cities when your money's broke down to a crumb so handle me carefully the edges right here I can't run looking for frozen water ass scorching under the sun the booth killer the truth the proof never no spoofs the spook gorilla in suits the tongue of venomous too fools who choose to break rules and swim with sharks in the pool that paralyzed and they drew back to the lab of most school rocking Chris Parker guru don't like it sorry for you now tell me what you won't do your boys up in the room all the building breaking down the lines and I am killing everything moving every single time and I break down the lines I'm breaking down the lines break down the lines I am breaking down the lines break down the lines I'm breaking down the lines break down the lines I am breaking down the lines the flavors ferocious I open this open so notice the flow of a lotus who write and read copious uh check my modus operandi negro comprende this MC's caliente anabolic anatomy every angle is anarchy absolute never average me I'm a bed and so handily handcuff these dastardly things I appear on the scene and wipe my plate clean no 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 leftover beans or chicken wings out of puffs I squeeze cream they greasy like Vaseline so soft and feminine skinny jeans and thumb rings and things I mean please you guys need glutamine creatine and protein the abyss of protein and I'm hoping this path will stop But fret not cause HJ's on the spot And I am killing everything Moving one single shot uh. Break down the lines I'm breaking down the lines Break down the lines I am breaking down the lines Break down the lines I'm breaking down the lines Break down the lines I am breaking down the lines power. This is Brother Jamal, and you are tuned in to First World Order Radio, back for another segment of Tips and Tricks Tuesday. I'm sitting in for the good brother, Blackwater, the Meta Magician. Once again, this is Brother Jamal, and I just want to send a shout out to the whole First World Order family, peace to Dr. Aline Bay, his goddess Kadira, Black Water, the Meta Magician, Brother Fahim L, and all of you, the First World Order listening audience, thank you again for taking time out of your busy lives to sit in <clears throat> for another session of some exploration of the mind's boundaries, going beyond perceived boundaries and delving deeper as we continue along this path. Today's date is February 21st, 2017. The month of February is 
flying by. Time is flying. Literally. So, always a pleasure to be able to sit down and make sense out of the madness, so to speak. It is an honor to be amongst people who respect and appreciate not just base knowledge, but higher knowledge. And uh, because so often throughout our lives, we're just surrounded by people that we have to, for lack of a better word, dumb ourselves down around uh, just so that we can make them feel more comfortable. (laughs) Uh, So I take this very seriously anytime I have an opportunity to come before people and delve into my truths that I've discovered and uh, never take it lightly. So Hopefully, uh, we'll have something that can edify your mind and your soul this evening. Before I get started, I want to direct your attention to com, And I don't want to do a disservice of trying to tell you what all is on the site because it's too much to try to uh, encapsulate. You just need to go over to com and just look around for everything. And I mean, when I say everything, I mean everything metaphysical, everything from products uh, that, that, that includes uh, jewelry, uh, jewelry with a purpose, I might add, uh, herbs, birth charts. I mean, anything, books, anything you can think of in the metaphysical realm, you're going to find it on DrEileenLBay.com. So get over there and get your metaphysical shop on. Before I get going, I've got to do this. I've got to acknowledge four very special women in my life. And it's important that I do this because in this world we live in, the majority of the people you'll encounter only will appreciate you based on what you can do for them uh, and how you can serve them. It's very rare you're going to encounter people in this world who unconditionally got your back, and as we say down here in Texas, who cut for you, you know. So um, I got to acknowledge these four women, although they're not present at the moment and listening, you know, they'll probably hear this recording. And even if they don't, I need to be, I need to go on the record and acknowledge my mother, who gave me life and allowed um, her vessel 
to be used as a conduit for my soul to come back on the planet to finish out the work that I needed to and for inspiring me to be a teacher because she uh, is a master teacher. Um, and for being a strong woman in support of my father who transitioned three years ago because you have to be a hell of a woman to deal with Henry Robinson. So, you know, want to acknowledge my mama this evening. Got to acknowledge my my wife, my soulmate. Again, uh, a stand-up woman who cuts for me because a lot of uh, people, not just women, but men and women are fickle. And when you up, they'll be all for you and all excited and all for all the photo ops and <laughs> whatever else comes along with it, all the spoils. But when you are down, they will be looking for the nearest uh, escape hatch. So you you are able to judge people in your lives based on how they respond when you ain't at the top. So I have a woman who has seen me on the mountaintop and in the pit and been down. So got to acknowledge my wife this evening. And uh, two more various special women, last but not least, my two daughters, who when they look at me, all they see is their daddy. And you can see the pride in their eyes um, that I'm their daddy. And uh, that is something that gives you motivation to keep on going because especially for black men in this world, the images that we see, the messages that go out, both direct and subliminal, many times amount to basically we ain't shit, you know? We ain't about nothing. We ain't got nothing going for ourselves. We're irresponsible. We're savages. Uh, we're heartless. We're reckless. Anything negative you can think of, it's stereotyped and it is uh, promoted and uh, pushed in media. So when you look into your children's eyes and they look back at you, and they look at you with those eyes of endearment, like, you know, that's my daddy, and, you know, I love him, and I'm proud of him. That's priceless. And although I said it was, this was going to be for women, i got to acknowledge my, my, my newborn as well, my, my first son, you know, because uh, I gave him my name, which is my father's name, so we're talking about the same entity. And uh, believe it or not, you can look into a baby's eyes, and a baby has the ability to stare directly into your soul because the baby does not have the fetters um, of humanity holding it down as much as we do. 
the innocence of a child makes it very powerful. Um, that perineum at the top of the head that's still soft and doesn't really close up and harden until later on in early childhood or, or toddler phase or stage. I, my theory is that that is also associated with the fact that that pineal gland is so much more active and larger than a baby. That's why a baby can be around somebody and all of a sudden start hollering and screaming. And the person hadn't done anything to the baby, but that baby's pineal gland is so active and it's so sensitive, it can detect if this person is foul or this person has uh, a negative spirit. They can detect it. That's their raw intuition. So when I look into his little eyes, I see admiration. And I would imagine that I'm seeing my father looking through his eyes because I do believe that at times we trade. There's a book by I think it's uh, C.S. Lewis. It's called Father of a uh, Son of the Fox. Uh, Son of the Son, I think, is the name of it. So um, it's very possible that through incarnating, you come back to parent your parent, and that this keeps going on, and you basically talking about one soul that keeps refining itself in different roles. So I want to acknowledge not just those four very special women, but those five very special people, including my son, um, and send love and light to them. Now, I've been, uh, some people have been emailing me and uh, asking about classes um, especially some, you know, some of the people here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And um, just want to let you know we're going to start up some. Nobody's been specific. They just said, I just want to learn. So um, I've taken this upon myself just to say, hey, I'm going to teach basically within my wheelhouse. And... um my wheelhouse has to do a lot with that Bible. And I want to I want to touch on that this evening because we're going to deal a lot with the Bible as we always do, but I want to I want to explain why the Bible is so important especially for quote unquote black people or Moors or indigenous people or whatever title you go by. Why is it so important for us? Because um, for at least 400 years, that book has been ingrained in us. So what you're talking about now is you're talking about epigenetics, if we're going to cellular biology. We're talking about epigenetics. The, 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 the Prefix epi means above or upon or to put upon. So we're talking about something that is put upon the genes. And this Bible, given that it has been a, uh, 
primary source for us to reflect upon for at least 400 years in this new reality in this country uh, means that it is a part of our DNA now. And a lot of times as so-called conscious people, what we do is we get on an ego trip and we beat that Bible down. And we beat down people who may still go to church or who still may hold reverence for that book. We beat them down. Oh, you worshiping that white Jesus and you know, I see all these memes on Google Plus and, you know, on uh, other social media where people, I mean, go on and on and on about, you know, you and this Bible and, you know, look how they're doing us. And it's the same people who uh, put you in slavery are the same ones who, yeah, we know that. But the question is, are you going to keep beating people over the head with a spike bat or with all of your so-called new knowledge that you have, are you able to provide a transition for them? Because a lot of people are aware that something ain't right, especially at these churches. They are aware something ain't right. Something's rotten in the cotton. And you find people who have jumped from this church to that church to this church because they're still trying to find what they're looking for and then haven't quite figured out that the institution itself is the problem. Now, we can kick them all in the head and argue with them on Facebook and talk shit, or those of us who are supposed to be so learned, we can start providing a transition. And that is why it is so important to me to always go back to that Bible. I learned this from C. Freeman L. He said there's not a lot of people Ashe, by the way, so the, the, the master teacher, C. Freeman L. There, he said there are not a lot, not not enough people out here. And he said this um, in a lecture fourteen years ago. He said there's not enough people out here who are talking and referencing that Bible. And let me make sure so I'm not to be construed that this is not about some nouveau Christianity or some nouveau Bible movement or Christian movement. And that's not what he he means when he's saying that. He is basically saying the same thing that I I just said, that that book is ingrained in us. And for the most part, we are now a literate society. But we are a literate society, meaning that we have the ability to read, most of us, but we don't. We don't. But if there's one book you're going to find in a black person's house, you'll find a Bible. And you go in there, and that, that coffee table, that Bible will be sitting open on that one page, and it's been so long that all the other pages are yellow and stuck together. It might be Psalms 23, you know, but they're going to have that Bible. Well, my job is to go and pull the essence out of that book, the essence. 
It's like when I was a child, my grandmama would show me how to eat chicken. This might just, this would gross people out. But my grandmama, when she ate chicken, because she was big on you ain't going to waste no food, she would make us bite the bone and suck the marrow out. And if you want to talk about the essence, the true essence is in the marrow. All the flavor, the, the, when you get to the, 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 the purest essence, aspect of the flavor, whatever seasoning you put on it, it gets down into the marrow. So that's what we need when we deal with this Bible. Don't leave no meat on the bone. Pick it apart because there's certain parts of that book no preacher touches because it ain't going to align with the canonized doctrine that they have to push. So what happened was when we started to fall asleep, we started to hide information in these scripts or these scrolls or uh, oh, hell, what did I do? Or um, these these holy books. We hid this we hid this information in these books so that they could be preserved. Preserved for a time such as now, where we can go in and pull the jewels that are that are hot hidden inside of those scriptures. You'll find Osiris in the Bible, you'll find Isis in the Bible. You'll find Horus in the Bible. You'll find the true nature of Set in the Bible. Everything, you can find it in that book. Just like you can find it in the Quran. But the book that we have the most intimate relationship with is that Bible. So the classes that I will be doing starting in March will deal with esoteric Bible studies. And I just want to touch on a few things that we'll be able to uncover through these classes. We're going to reestablish the meaning of the woman and the divine feminine. And let me stop right there and say this is not about some Feminism, gender war, nonsense. You know, people will sit around and debate about is the black woman God or not? You know, the black woman, I say the black woman is God. Ain't got nothing to do with none of this trying because these are divisive arguments. We're talking about, yes, we're going to look at women specifically because Women have been maligned through the doctrinal teachings of Christianity because you're talking about uh, a patriarchal, woman-hating cult that created the canonized version that we have today, the dogma of Christianity. So we have to read, we have to correct that. But when we talk about the divine feminine, we're talking about something that is androgynous because 
or it's unisex because it's something that's in all of us. Each of us has a divine masculine and a divine feminine. And the tandem of the woman and the divine feminine were used to create the character called the devil. So we got to go back into the book and correct some things. And in correcting that, we are breaking down some programs that are running in our subconscious mind. We're going to deal with epistemology. Epistemology is basically how did people come to know what they know? And when you're talking about that, you have to go and deal with the beginning, which is what? Relative to the Bible. It would be the creation story. But in order to understand the creation story, we're going to have to incorporate some other texts because we know that the Bible was basically canonized. So that means certain texts were thrown out that did not fit into the the set agenda of the Roman government. We also have to deal with ontologies. The nature ontology is the nature of being. Now, what does that really mean? The nature of being is talking about the essence. And this may sound crazy, but ontology is, well, first of all, ontology is basically what metaphysics is, studying the nature of being. But that is actually studying Satan. So we're going to have to go back and reprogram. See, first, see when you hear that, does it create some reaction in you? Satan, you kind of lock down and you feel a little jolt, like he's like, oh, that's the bad guy, that's the enemy. That's a program. We got to go back and break this program because, and, and we do that through, one way is through etymology, the science of the origin of words. And when we talk about ontology dealing with essence, then we deal with the word Satan, sat means essence, on means first. So sat on or set on or shut or shatan, all of these are dealing with the first essence. And we would, we would to, to further back that up, we would go through and look at all these verses in the Bible where so-called Jehovah or Yahweh, or God, says to build these different items out of shittim. Because when you're talking about the first essence, you're talking about shit or excrement. And then through uh, 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 etymology, we'll find that the name Christ, one of the uh, etymologies of Christ is excrement because it means to scratch. So then that's why you have in ancient motifs, you have that vegetative uh, uh, aspect woven into these mythologies because it's not talking about literally just about harvesting crops. When you're talking about scratching the ground, we're talking about you scratch or you till the ground so that the nutrients can be deposited down to the root as in the root chakra, the root. And from the root, the new vegetation grows. So when you're talking about Satan, which is the first essence, 
It is the same as excrement because excrement comes first and it fertilizes the ground so that new vegetation can grow. So when you're studying ontology or the nature of being, you're studying, and being meaning essence, that's what you're studying. So we'll get into all these things. We're going to study psychology. Esoteric Bible study gets into psychology. It also goes into cellular biology. It deals with quantum physics. It deals with sex magic. It deals with numerology, astrology, and on and on. All of these things you get out of the Bible. All of these are covered in that book. That's why we can't discard it. We've got to go back and learn how to use it. In my book, I've got a little, uh, which I want to tell you all about here briefly. In my book, I've got a, a, a passage where I talk about the fact that uh, we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to that Bible. And how, you know, if you're doing lawn care and you got your lawnmower and you go out and you run over a rock and then your blade won't turn anymore, do you just throw away the lawnmower and say, oh, it was a piece of crap? No, you got to go back and examine how you used it. Because you ran over that big rock and messed your blade up because of user error. Not because the lawnmower didn't function properly. You didn't function properly in your usage of it. That's the way we have to look at the Bible. There's a lot of user error as it applies to the Bible. So it's going to be looking at a six-week course, minimum of four. I'm looking at six. So if you're interested, I want you to email me at hjrobinson360 at gmail.com because what we're going to do is some kind of way we're going to set it up to where, you know, you don't have to be here in Dallas. We'll do it wherever you're at in the world, basically, you'll be able to participate. And this will not be like your typical Bible study where we're going to go and use a kindergarten Sunday school lesson and give you moral dogma lessons. No, this is going to be a real course. You're going to need to get some materials. You're going to need to have um, uh, a bracketed dictionary where it deals with the um, goes into some of the etymology. You're going to need to have um, a strong concordance. Um, you'd be good for you to have a basic, just a, a book dedicated just to etymology and probably, you know, at least have you a couple of Bibles. Um, but what I'm thinking about doing is for those who maybe can't get all that, we'll have a syllabus and each week, whatever words we're going to get into the etymology of, I'll more than likely just email them to you and you can you can start building you a little word list just on the handouts. But if you want to explore your metaphysical occult mind through a very familiar channel that you have available to you, 
and you want to take this class. So email me, hjrobinson360 at gmail, and I'll give you the details on how you can get involved. Also, I have a book that I wrote called The Lies Behind the Ties, and I just want to tell you all a little bit about this book. In 2015, if you remember, that was all the hoopla about uh, Creflo Dollar (laughs) wanted $65 million to buy this jet so he could fly around and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, I was like, man, this is amazing. And, of course, he got the money. But uh, it inspired me to look into this whole thing of tithing and to show the fallacy of the whole concept of, you know, the Bible says you must tithe. It's the law. And I wanted to, and I got into it like a lot of real debate, but kind of jousting back and forth with my grandmother. And she was, you know, of course, she was a proponent of tithing. And um, I said, okay, Grandma, I'm going to write a little essay. And what happened was that essay turned into a book. Because as I got into it, I started realizing, okay, to prove this, I need to do this. And to prove that, I'm going to have to do this. And it turned into a scholarly book. And it turned into more into just disproving tithing and showing how these guys are, you know, crooks or whatever. Uh, it got in, It turned into a metaphysical work, a serious scholarly metaphysical body of work and um, it's about probably 300 pages roughly uh, 80 something maybe I guess 80 something thousand words I think that comes out to about max I think it's 90,000 close to 90,000 words so roughly 300 or more page book and um, what I want to do is I'm going to read you two little brief portions. I want to introduce my style of writing to the listening audience. I want you just to hear, because uh, I'm when I someone did ask me about doing one an audio version, which I'm going to do. That'll be down the road. Because some people just don't have time to sit and actually read, and they want to be able to listen, like while they're driving to work and so forth. So this would be like a preview of the audio version. Since it's my book, I took the liberty to kind of title things a little differently than the average book. So the the true introduction I call the framework, and this is real brief, brief. It says, the overarching purpose of this book of body of work is a pursuit of truth. And this pursuit or quest carries with it a certain degree of understanding that the truth is dynamic. We tend to think that the latter is static or immobile, but the etymology of the word truth provides greater clarity as to its pure essence. It derives from the Indo-European root of deru, meaning solid, hence wood, and associated ideas as lasting, holding, firm. The latter's reference to wood brings to mind the tree, and one of the magical properties of the tree 
is that it is fixed and dynamic at the same time. Its core, as it reaches vertically from its roots, is indeed fixed, but there is an ever-present degree of dynamism at both above and below. From on high, its branches are constantly moving, stretching and swaying, while below the surface, its roots furrow and dig through the richness of the soil for more hidden, bejeweled nutrients. All the while, the bark-covered trunk and upper tree remain steadfast, symbolic of the middle path of the Kabbalah. The forthcoming presentation is an attempt is an attempt to model after one of the valuable lessons of the tree, to move yet remain immovable, to be explorative yet rooted in a firm foundation. From a biochemical, genetic, and spiritual perspective, I have engaged this journey from an awareness of me and my fellow high-melanated cosmic beings as representing the original template, the nucleus, the axis mundi, That is my truth, and upon that rock I stand firm and fixed. The dynamism, though, hinges upon an ever-unfolding and infolding of our cosmic essence and purpose. A further degree of dynamism also involves a sort of destructive tendency in which former beliefs and concepts are held under the microscopic lens of critical thought and more in-depth study. This deep, piercing gaze of discovery eventually causes previously instilled and installed programs of falsehood and misguided illusionary existence to shatter, leaving the very fortunate escapee of the matrix with scattered puzzle pieces that he now has the duty and privilege to reconstruct. Yes, it is important for us to be fixed and firm, but not stagnant and stuck. Our thoughts should be well-rooted in the knowledge of our identity as the chosen people, but flexible enough to open our minds as to blossom like the lotus flower. This body of work is a labor of love dedicated to the aforementioned and the love of Sophia, wisdom, who became ignorant so that we may now be wise. That's the opening to the book. I'll stop there. I was going to read a little more of the actual introduction, but I want to stop there. If you are a person who appreciates hardcore, no fluff knowledge and information, you will love this body of work. You will love it. Because I write pretty simple, um, but it's something that you can reference this book and not look like a fool. Tell you why. Because when you get scholarly material, you want to go straight to the bibliography. And you want to see where is this person getting their information? And then you can go back and assess the the information that's presented and the source, sources, plural, of the information, which now solidifies the stance 
that the writer is taking, whether you agree or not. You know, the person who's writing the book needs to substantiate whatever they are saying. So I've done that, and you will not look like a fool when you reference Jamal Robinson's The Lies Behind the Ties, The Keys to Higher Consciousness. It can stand up, and it can back itself up. So what I'm doing is this book uh, took a lot of time to put together, took a lot of investment, time-wise and financially. One book that I reference in here, this one book now sells on the minimum for $490 on Amazon. Now, luckily, I didn't have to pay that. I, I paid $150 for this one book, which is still a nice penny for me. But I want to tell you about this book. This book is called Dirt, A Social History as Seen Through the Uses and Abuses of Dirt by Terrence McLaughlin. And I, I heard about this book from uh, Brother Panic. And when I heard him breaking down what was in it a few years back, I said, I got to get this book. And this book gives you the truth about life in 16th through 18th century Europe. I say 17th and 16th century Europe. And, I mean, it it is unbelievable Um, because I have a part in the book where I'm breaking down. Because if you're going to talk about Christianity and the package that it's in, you have to talk about how did we get the version that we have today? Who supplied it? How did it uh, move from uh, Catholicism to uh, Protestantism? And who's behind all that? So then you, so we know that this is a, these are European inventions. Although the science is old, Catholicism, as we see it, uh, is presented is a European invention as well as Protestantism. So you have to go and examine the people who created these. So I had to go and examine what was life like in Europe. So. When you're talking about 16th century Europe, 17th century Europe, what was going on then? You were dealing with the Black Plague. And one of the great driving forces of the Black Plague was filth because it was the rats who carried the plague. And what attracts rats? Filth. So this book, Dirt, breaks down the filth (laughs) of Europe. Now, we grew up thinking that, you know, uh, anything melanated was filthy. You know, uh, that was just an understood um, propaganda that was put before us. You know, we're we're told that uh, we have these terms like West Nile fever or disease or whatever. When the Nile is desert, but supposedly a mosquito comes over here 
from those nasty Africans over there and brings this virus, West Nile virus or Ebola. And you notice all these, these horrible diseases that come out of it. And so it's the same game that's still played today. Same game. Oh, well, you know, they're such savages, and we've got to help them with water. And they, oh, oh, poor, it's so, 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 so bad, those poor Africans. They don't know how to wash their asses. No, so that's why it's important that we have to scholastically fight back using their sources. Uh, so this book is a scathing, uh, let me read one passage out here. Let's see. Let's just read something just to give you an idea of the kind of stuff they talk about in here. Uh, um, I want to find something good. He talks about the perfumes, you know, that they wore to cover up the funk. The favorite perfumes, musk, civet, castor, and abergris, were well chosen to cover up the smell of unwashed bodies and soil clothes. They are what the modern perfumer calls animal notes. Musk is extracted from a gland near the penis of the musk, musk deer, which lives mainly in the Atlas and Himalayan mountains. Civet comes from a similar gland in the civet cat found in Abyssinia. The soft, waxy, incredibly cat-smelling material is taken from the gland with a spoon and traditionally packed in horns to transport it. The yield can be increased by teasing the civet cat before taking the wax. Uh, and skip down. It says, all these perfume materials have odors in which sweetness, rottenness, and sexual elements are combined. They are used in small proportions in nearly all good modern perfumes to give a hint of primitive sexual attraction, but to modern taste, it would be unthinkable to use them undiluted. Uh, many of the medieval courtiers must have smelled rather like tomcats anyway, so civet on the gloves was reasonably appropriate. That's just the mild stuff. It, I didn't get into the part where the, the, the streets of England were covered with feces and uh, the Thames River and the Fleet River where they dumped their excrement in the river. So you'll understand why corporations don't think twice about dumping pollutants in water because it's historical. So this is the type of things that I, I'll reveal in this book and other scathing information that you might not have come across. What I'm doing real quick is um, this book, I'm going to sell it for $80 because information is priceless to those who value information. And what I'm doing, though, is I'm doing a pre-sale to generate the funds to produce the book. I don't want to do a GoFundMe or Indiegogo and basically beg people to give me money to produce something that I'm looking to make money off of. But what I want to do is I want to, what my cousin used to say, even swap, no swindle. I want to give you the ability to prepay for a signed copy of the book at a discount. I'm going to sell the book 
for eighty dollars. I'm not I'm not joking. Like I'm it's just not a uh a bait and switch where I tell you I'm gonna sell it for eighty, then you give me uh what I tell you is a discount and the book comes out and I sell it for less and no. I'm gonna sell this book for eighty dollars because I'm a, a scholar and I read and I'm not just saying this because I wrote the book, but I I based on my scholastic abilities, I'm judging this and it is a heavyweight. So I'm selling it for eighty, but I'm gonna do a discount for those who help support the production of it. So this is gonna be done all independently. I'm gonna sell it for sixty dollars prepay. And I'm gonna give you a signed copy. And there's no extra shipping and handling unless you stand somewhere in Antarctica somewhere. But if you within the continental US, no shipping or nothing, you help support uh and the money is going to go towards the book. It's not going to be like two years now. You like, you know, some of these people you support and you, well, where's the, you're going to see the book and you're going to get it. And you're going to be able to teach from this book. You're going to be able to teach your children from this book, real history. You're going to be able to educate yourself. And you're going to have something of a legacy to pass on. Because I'm going to tell you what my father told me many years ago. He said in 50 years, Michael Jordan going to be a white man. He always said that. He said that in the 80s. He said 50 years from now, Michael Jordan going to be a white man because they're going to change and rewrite the history. So it is important for those of us who have the ability to start chronalizing history in our narrative and to put information together and pass it down because information and knowledge and wisdom are the the highest commodities to pass and leave. We think we're failures if we can't leave land and money and houses. If you can pass on knowledge, that is priceless. Taxes, a tax lien or whatever, or a hurricane or a tornado can't wipe out your knowledge. That can't be taken from you. So if you want to support, I implore you to, to send an email to hjrobinson360 at gmail.com and let me know, and I'll tell you how we how you can support, and I'll get your name, your address, and... When that first run comes out, you're going to get you a hot off the press copy of uh, Lies Behind the Ties, The Keys to Higher Consciousness. Now, we can get into our bill for the night. Thank you all for bearing with me. Um, tonight, I'm going to move fast. We're going to try, I don't know if we'll get through all this, but we're going to try to deal with this topic of Lucifer, Satan, Christ, and the lame gods. Lucifer, Satan, Christ, and the lame gods. So tonight's going to be a metaphysical lesson woven together with a motivational message. Dealing with the concept of being lame. You know, now in our, you know, current, you know, 21st century that's one of the worst things you can be called. Oh, he's lame. 
lame ass dude. He's so lame. You know, that's like one of the worst insults to be called lame. I want to show you tonight how being lame is actually, um, it's an asset. Being lame is an asset. Understanding that even though it does mean to be broken, and to be broken, that's synonymous with failing. You know, when you're broke, you consider it a failure. Uh, literally and figuratively. When we examine black people or indigenous people around the globe, especially in the United States, we find the greatest story of failure in the cosmos. Now, I want you all to stay with me. Don't get this gruntled because it always gets greater later. But I do. I want to allow me to lay my foundation. And it took us going through the Afrocentric movement where we rediscovered how vast our history is and relative to our current state, how great we were, only to come full circle to understand how degenerate we are now. I want you to backtrack. The Afrocentric movement showed us how great we were through uncovering our vast history. But relative to our current state, it showed us how degenerate we are now. But here's another monkey wrench I want to throw in. But that also shows us just how truly special we are. You have to be special and something great to degenerate to something. We need to understand that. You had to have been something that was exalted in order to fall or degenerate to something that is not. So this matrix, or in Kabbalah, this Malkuth that we live in, it's the result of our cosmic failure. Cosmic failure. But what we got to understand is that to fall, again, you already had to have been somewhere that was high. So that's what we're going to pick up. And we're going to go. We're going to go to the Bible. See, the wild man is back. I'm going to go to... <laughs> hey, Biggs. So we're going to go to Ezekiel 28 and 14 to, to show this uh, fall from this exalted position. Ezekiel 28, we'll start at 13. It says... Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth and have set thee so. 
Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, that they have filled the midst of thee with violence, thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountains of God, and will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Now, this is referring to, of course, Lucifer. Now, the reason I titled this tonight, uh, Lucifer, Satan, Christ, and the lame gods, is because to understand your story, you must understand Lucifer because that is you. Now, see, this is the type of stuff we have to get into in the class because until you make that connection, no matter how conscious we think we are, we still are basically just uh, polished over Christians. That's all it is. If you still hold on to the idea that there's a separate entity that's, that is the bad guy, and there's a separate one that is the good guy, then you still are just a a, a basic Christian or a Muslim or whatever because you're still dealing with duality. Still dealing with duality. Because you see, this character was on a exalted or in an exalted state. And then it fell. What a lot of times tricks us when we read mythology, including the Bible, is that we get caught up into trying to identify who's the good guy who's, and who's the bad guy, who did right and who did wrong. And that's part of, that was coded into these scriptures to throw off the neophyte. Because the esoteric secrets don't deal with good guy, bad guy. You're uncovering what is the true essence of the concept. And you have to approach these scriptures by looking at them as though it is always a journey about you. It's always about a journey of your own soul. So we're talking about you being in a position where you were exalted or your soul was, and then your soul fell. Your soul fell asleep. Okay? So then we go and look at another uh, passage, and that's in Isaiah 14, starting at verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Ah! Now, again, we can stop right there at fallen because fall is synonymous with fail. And failing, again, would be a version of being lame because, you know, to be lame is to be broken. So we see that reference again. How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? 
For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Now, understand the north is astrologically is talking about your pineal gland. And it's in, and that's part of the indoctrination for the neophyte to get to get caught up as to uh, subconsciously see anything that deals with wisdom. Because when you're talking about coming from the north, you're talking about wisdom. So wisdom has to be associated with something quote unquote bad or demonic. Has to steer you away from it. I will ascend upon the heights of the clouds. I will be the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. Hell, meaning cell, the cells in your body, to the sides of the pit. They will see thee, shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? Now, as black people, we especially should... Take note of that very last sentence. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may. Whoa, 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 whoa. By the multitude of the mercies that they have filled. Whoa, whoa, I'm reading the wrong part. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? That's very powerful because the Afrocentric movement showed us that we were, we are those same people who built those kingdoms, who built those kingdoms, and yes, made the earth tremble. But when you look at us now, it's like, <laughs> oh, y'all supposed to be the ones who built these pyramids, right? Oh, <laughs> okay, that's cute. That's funny. Oh, y'all built these mounds, huh? These mounds in Tennessee. Or uh, had this hidden civilization in Arizona. Or uh, put those, put stone hens together. Or put those big old Mac heads. Oh, that was y'all, right? Oh, yeah, that's cute. That's real funny. Look at you now. That is, that was speaking into the future. That was prophecy. So moving right along, though, I want to just change up course for a minute. I want to say something about magic, magic and rituals. And it still is in alignment with what we're talking about because we're talking about a phase. You're talking about a cycle. One part of the cycle, you're at the top. You know, you're running everything. The potential is unending, and then you fall. That's called devolution. You're falling. So as it pertains to magic and rituals, we're going to get back and show you how magic applies to what part of the cycle you're in. But first, let me say this. I want to, when you're thinking about magic, I want you to think about this thing in quantum physics called a double slit test. I want to give you the Reader's Digest version. The double slit test is this. They take uh, 
some form of matter and you fire it through a single slit and you have a a, a plate behind it or a, a, a board or a wall behind it and you'll see that the pattern should be basically a vertical pattern that would reflect the objects passing through that single slit. When you take and create a second slit, meaning you have two now, and you fire matter at both of those, you're going to see a line on behind the first slit and a line where the object is hidden behind the second one. Okay, simple. When you take a wave, though, it acts differently. When you have two slits and a wave, and those waves split moving through the two slits, they will then merge together when they pass through and they'll leave, uh, it's called interference, and they'll leave all these different patterns on that wall back there because the, the waves have merged. Now, that's simple. But when you go to quantum physics, though, when you fire an electron through a single slit, it acts just like gross matter, okay? But when you fire an electron through the double slit, it behaves just like a wave. Instead of it be a line where it goes through one and a line where it goes through the other, it behaves just like a wave. They go through and they merge and it hits all over the wall. So scientists did this study and they wanted to figure out, well, why is it that the electron is not behaving like a larger uh particles of matter. Now they put a camera beside one of the slits and what happened was when they tried to put that camera in measure, all of a sudden the uh the way the, the electrons pass through just like it like just like normal. Meaning they didn't go through and split, they only went through one slit and they hit the wall. Now this this might not make sense. You just you go back and listen to this again so you can understand what I'm saying. You can envision this in your mind. But the point is that when the electron was observed, it changed its behavior. That's what I'm trying to get at. When they were not observing it with the camera, it went through two slits, merged, interfered with each other, and created all these crazy patterns on the wall. When they tried to put a camera and watch it go through the slit, it only went through one, and it made one straight line on the back wall. So what does that tell you? That the electron has a form of intelligence, and it has an awareness because it knows when it is being observed. And when it is observed, it acts differently. Now, what the hell does this have to do with magic? Magic works a certain way or worked a certain way when our consciousness was at a certain level. Meaning if we were to do certain rituals 50 years ago, you needed somebody to tell you, you need to take this candle, you need to have this bag, you need to have this honey, you need to have this rope, you need to tie this here, da 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 because your consciousness was at a certain level. Consciousness means awareness. Now that our awareness is at a higher level, our idea of magic has to change, meaning we have to just create stuff out of the thin air. 
using our image nation, imagination. Why? Because just like in the double slit test, when they observed the electron, it acted differently. So now that your consciousness is higher, meaning you are observing life and all of its subtle aspects, which is what an electron is, is subtle energy, you cannot function the same way or expect the same results because your awareness is higher. So in your magic and your rituals, you have to be imaginative. You can't be rigid. It can't be, well, no, you're supposed to wear this and you're supposed to do it this way and do it that way. No. We're talking about true black power. And I'm not talking about putting your fists in the air and waving a some hand-me-down Russian rusty gun. I'm talking about true black power is black magic because the word magic means power. So if you want to really deal with black power, you deal with black magic. Black magic matters. So back to our original topic, though, of Lucifer, Satan, Christ, and the lame God. Well, how does all this tie in? Well, your magic reflects where you are on a wavelength. So if you look at a zodiac, the zodiac is a series of wavelengths, Okay. Just imagine you draw a line across a piece of paper and you start at the line. That's Aries. It goes up. As the wavelength gets to the top, that would be the summer solstice, which would be Cancer. Then it comes back down, touches again. That would be Libra, which is the fall equinox. It goes down below the line to its lowest point, which would be Capricorn or the winter solstice. Then it comes back up to Aries again, which is the spring equinox. That's a wave pattern. That's how the zodiac, when you take the zodiac and break it apart into a wave, that's how it's moving. Your application of magic and its effectiveness depends on where you are on the wavelength. If you're in a period of your life when you're crossing the vernal equinox, the vernal equinox is spring. If you're going into spring, then you are on the upward range of the wave. Okay. However, if you're crossing the autumnal, which is the fall, then that means you're on the downward part of the wave. Now, I want y'all use use your child mind. I want you to imagine what I'm saying. Spring, you know, the sun is starting to rise. So that's the wave is going up from spring. It gets up to the summer solstice, then the sun starts to die again. It comes down to the autumnal equinox. Okay. Magic works in either phase. I want to just put that out for sure. Magic does work, but it must be geared towards whichever particular phase you're in. You have to know, am I in a spring phase where I'm going up on the wave, or I am, or am I in a, a, a fall, fall, failure? Am I falling? which means I have to use a different different expectations for my magic. 
But to be able to assess where you are in a particular phase requires a lot of reflection and introspection. Once you discover what season you're in, you structure your expectations accordingly. When you're going into the fall or the winter season, what's on your mind? Mainly, you're thinking about survival. Oh, I just want to survive through this winter, survive through this fall, you know. The, especially for black people. We're tropical people. So, you know, the weather's cold. Sickness is rampant. And, you know, for some of us, resources are more limited. Thus, uh, you know, we find ourselves in that phase of life, you know, where you're going through a transition. And, you know, you, you consider the winter of your life where you're going through growing pains, you know, that you have to endure. So structure your rituals and your magic accordingly. If you know you're in that phase where you're going through that, those growing pains where you got some, some, you're not quite sure what all you're supposed to be learning, then your rituals need to be geared towards survival. Survival. Maintaining. Making sure that you can maintain and weather the storm. I learned this the hard way. Because until you get what you're supposed to get out of that season as far as your enlightenment or what you need to learn, you're going to have to stay there. I don't care how many New Year's roll around and you just like, oh, the ball dropped. We start, yeah, yeah. Until you get what you got to get out of it, until you get all the meat off that bone, you ain't getting up from that table. But then... If you're in that season where you're moving back up, where you're going into the spring, then you handle that accordingly. You're moving into more abundance, then you structure your magic according to and your rituals, according to taking advantage of the, the, the part of the cycle that you're in. I hope I'm making sense. If I'm not, when we open the lines, you know, we can chat about it. But you, but you have to understand where you're at. And we go through these ebbs and flows for a purpose. Everything's for a purpose. Our whole existence is for a purpose. You know, uh, it's it's all about a form of learning. So, so through the occult, what we have is the ability to skip steps and move ahead. But we're still which is a cult we're talking about, going into those things which are hidden. But we're still subject to certain rules of duality because we live in duality. All right? 
So as you move again, as you move into the spring, you know, you should turn up the heat, which now what are we doing? We're moving into the spring of the year. So just as the heat, the, the, the sun is heating up, when you're going through that phase of your life where you're going into a spring and you're heating up, then you need to be bold. You need to be aggressive. Angry baby alert. Okay. So, and all this still ties in and applies to what we're talking about tonight. So the goal of those, these false ones who keep, who try to keep us asleep and in the midst of our slumber provide a vehicle to carry them to the next level until they can find a way to get through the doorway. It is to keep us unaware of any of these sciences because all lame gods are supposed to heal at some point. You're only lame. You only have fallen. No matter where you are on this parabola or this, this, this wavelength, of this zodiac where you're going up into the spring of a, of, a, of a cycle or you're going into a spring season or you're going down into a fall or a winter, they don't want you to be aware, to be aware and start sitting and looking and being introspective because as you start to become more aware, you then start to gain more mastery and more control over maneuvering your way and learning what you need to learn to take yourself out of the season that you're in. You're not supposed to be a lame God forever. All right? So uh, so let's look at Genesis. And let's establish this. Genesis is not the only creation story in the Bible, as well as Revelations is not the only end-time story. And just about every book in the Bible has an account of creation and eschatology. They got a beginning and an end story in just about every book in the Bible. So as we're transitioning out of this lame stage, which we're going to get into just we're going to get into the etymology of the word lame and everything here in a minute. But I want to show you something. And we're going to tie all that that we just talked about about the magic everything we're going to tie it all together. Sometimes it just take a little while to lay the, the groundwork. But you see in Job the book of Job this familiar story that was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. This is starting at chapter 1, verse 1. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Seven and three, ten. So he's talking about perfection. This is the same story of Lucifer being in the garden. You see, everything is blissful. Everything was perfect. That's the same. And that's also 
to Adam and Eve when they were in the garden. Everything was perfect. They had every food they could think of. No pain, no suffering. Everything's beautiful. His substance was also 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she-asses, and a very great household. Keep those numbers in mind. 7,000 and 3,000 is 10. 10,500 is 10,500 plus another 5 is 11,000. Keep that number and remember it. Remember that, especially 11. Okay. And his sons went and feasted in their houses. Everyone hit his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So let's skip down. So uh, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a perfect and upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil. Stop right here. Now, is this the God of the Bible making a deal with Satan? I want you to try out my boy Job and see what you can do with him. So my assessment of that is that this is a conversation between Job's higher self and his lower self. And and they create the friction that put Job to the test, understanding that the true trinity is mother, Father and Christ The mother and the father come together To create friction Which we call sex And out of that A new entity Is born which would be Christ So Satan Is the feminine aspect God would be the masculine And those have to duel To bring out Christ In Job But first Job has to be lame. He has to be broken. So the passage basically is setting up how Job is about to be broken. He's about to become lame. And it is a creation story. So you get the creation story in just, just about every book. You have some account of how time began for us. Now, what you need to understand about all this is that, again, Satan as a concept is has nothing to do with being a separate entity or a separate uh, evil component that is objectified from so-called God. You're talking about two aspects of one spectrum. You're talking about polarities. And for the spectrum to be complete, those polarities have to exist. If those don't exist, there is no Christ. Christ is the result of duality being nullified. And this is explained in the uh, Budges Egyptian Book of the Dead. Okay? And it says he's talking about set in pre-dynastic set. 
says, in the early dynasty, Set was a beneficent God and one whose favor was sought after by the living and by the dead. And so late as the 19th dynasty, kings delighted to call themselves beloved of Set. After the cult of Osiris was firmly established, and this god was the great god of all Egypt, it became the fashion to regard Set as the origin of all evil, and his statues and images were so effectually destroyed that only a few which escaped by accident have come down to us. So we can see Set, of course, Set is Sat. He's the, he's the forerunner of what we call Satan. He is the template. Set was originally a revered deity in Egypt, especially, or Kemet, especially pre-dynastic, called Set Tyson. Why? Because he is the first, first energy that, that, that embodies the all because he's the nothingness. Nothing involve, embodies everything. It is no thing, so that it means it has no boundary. So that's why this deity was revered. Now, you you saw in the scripture about Job where they say, let me show you how things are hidden. That's where you get into your numerology. It says he has 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses. That adds up to 11,000. 11. Now, when we go to the Babylonian myth, we see that Tiamat, the great mother, had these 11 venomous, angry, monstrous demons that she called upon when she realized that her children were plotting against her. In Palo Manombe, you have the 11 Palos. Those will also be synonymous with the Twin Towers. That's why the Twin Towers had to come down. That was a ritual to to subdue this uh, primal energy. And then if we go to Crawley's book 777, you'll find that his Kabbalistic breakdown of the number 11, he says... Because let me say, Tiamat is a dragon, okay? She's the same as Leviathan or Typhon. She's a dragon figure. Now, his breakdown of 11 says firebrand, volcanic fire, the special fire or light of the sacred magic of light, life and love. Hmm. So you see, there's something definitely mystically encoded in this number 11. And that is what is talking about this primal, chaotic energy. So Job existed in chaos, which that means he was, chaos is also blissful because it's not ordered, it's not restricted. But he is put under constriction when he is tested. You know, coal has to be put under pressure, and then through that pressure, that carbon is squeezed and squeezed until it forms this diamond. So moving along, 
what we're setting up is a connection between these demonic, satanic, evil, pre-existing primal energies with also the, the concept of being lame, okay? Because Job was broken. He was broken, which means he was made to be lame. So we go to the New Testament now. John chapter 12, verse 1, 2, 3, it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, or Osiris, Azar, Osar, was which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Notice that Mary anointed, and we're talking about Mary Magdalene, anointed his feet with spikenard, all right? What's important about that is the reference to the feet. And I always wondered, why, why the feet? I never heard anybody explain the symbolism of the feet. I want to read you a little something here out of this book, A Dictionary of Symbols, by uh, J.E. Serlow. It says, um, let me get right to it. Uh, it says... In all probability, the foot is to be taken as an ambivalent symbol. Um, for Jung, talking about Carl Jung, it is what confirms man's direct relationship with the reality of the earth, and he considers that it is frequently phallic in significance. That's important. Uh, like the hand, it is an essential part of the body and the support of one's entire person. That means understanding. If it's support, that means you're, that's what understanding is, support. You stand under something to support it. She recalls that in the mythology of a number of countries, the rays of the sun are compared with the feet, as witnessed the figure of the swastika. Uh, then one person asserts that the symbol, foot is a symbol of the soul. Uh, but I want to get to, oh, here we go. He quotes examples which show that in Greek legends, lameness usually symbolizes some defect of the spirit some essential blemish. So basically what they're saying is that the foot, that lameness is associated with a problem with the feet. And the feet would do what? The feet offer understanding. So if Mary Magdalene wiped Jesus' feet with her hair, you have to break down. That's a code. That's code. See, hair, H-A-I-R, is synonymous with hair, H-A-R-E, which is the rabbit. And the rabbit is synonymous with the coney. Another word for rabbit or hair is coney, which is C-O-G-N-E-Y, I think, or C-O-N-E-Y, one of those two. Coney means knowledge. Knowledge. So when Mary Magdalene wipes Jesus' feet, 
that means he was lame. And when she wiped his feet, she gave him knowledge or understanding. Notice they said she wiped his feet with an ointment. She anointed the feet. Well, doesn't Christ mean anointed? She's the one. It's just like in the Egyptian mythology or the pantheon, Sachet refers to Tahuti or Thoth. He's the god of thought, but where does it come from? She whispers in his ear. That means she speaks. Now, also, the word speak uh, is synonymous with oracle. An oracle is synonymous with the word kiss. So when you see in the Bible about somebody kissing somebody and everybody says, oh, it got the homosexual, it's not talking about literally. Kiss means to speak. And the same happens when she anoints his feet, she gives him his power. Mary Magdalene is the most powerful figure in the Bible. She is the battery. Okay, let's move to another scripture. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 8, it says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb. Now understand the word matrix means womb. So see, this is not just, see, we look at these stories and think it's something. We think about some cobblestone streets and some big stone buildings with flying buttresses and shit. No, these, a lot of these are prophetic. These are speaking in the future. The womb is the matrix, and the lame man is us, man meaning mind. Our, our minds are broken. So it says, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is temple is the mind, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple and alms? And Peter, Peter and John both represent the pineal gland. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us, look on us, higher consciousness. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. See, now you see that would come back to the feet. He's not lame anymore. We are not lame anymore because we are in the age of Aquarius, and Aquarius represents what part of your body? Your ankles, which is also your feet, basically. We now are in the phase where we are supposed to come together mentally. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with him, them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, we should have done this very early on, and I'm about to wrap up here in a minute. But let's look at the etymology of the word lame. It comes from the Indo-European root limb, and it means break, cripple. All right? Now, 
Lame is also synonymous with the Greek lambda, the Hebrew lamed. And, of course, you know, I've talked about this in the past, but countless businesses use the lambda in their uh, incorporated into their uh, uh, logos because they understand the power of being lame. See, understand when you fall and you become lame, what you're doing, think of it differently. Think of you're drawing in energy. The fall is the... The, the the magnetic portion of the cycle where you are now pulling in. That's why the woman pulls in the man's energy. You're drawing in the energy. A black hole pulls in energy. But if you look on the other side of a black hole, you have something called a quasar. And the quasar is all this energy that has been sucked in now just escapes and whoosh, this voluminous energy shoots out, which is, again, the phallus. So they understand that, that this all this connection, and they embody their logo with that lambda. I mean, they're drawing in, they're drawing your energy to them, your currency, or you charging to get whatever their goods or their services are, which is their, it's a, a mode of vampirism to get your energy, which is the highest currency. And again, we see that lameness is associated with the feet. Now, not just the feet, but with breaking down of the lower extremities, which is what we have in Genesis. And I'm not going to read all this, but you know the story where Jacob wrestles with God and he injures him in his, the hollow of his hip, Okay. Now, if you look at the the lamed, the Hebrew lamed, it looks like a person who's broken down, like like the, at the hip. It looks like a bent hip, and a person sitting in a chair. So again, we see we're talking about the lame aspect or the satanic phase of existence is the the the, the time where you are drawing in energy. And you are preparing to release. It's the spring calling. Same story we see in Dionysus, Bacchus, Osiris. All of these gods were cut up, chopped up into pieces. Again, laying means to break. When you're broken, you're into pieces. What's interesting, though, is about Dionysus, when he recognized he was about to die, he turns into a black bull. Now, that's a whole lot involved there because the bull is synonymous with sound. Sound is synonymous with water. All right? Water would be synonymous with seawater. Because from the seawater, we get what? The dragon. Now, every year you have a running of the bulls in Spain, which is a ritual, whether it's the, the, the reenacting the murder of Osiris or of Dionysus. It also, again, is murdering the phallus. It's a castration ritual. But... Let's look 
at what it means on a higher level for us. For a child to be born, there first had to be a raw material there. Let's say that raw material is a flaccid penis, all right, unconscious. Then that penis gets aroused. It becomes conscious of this woman. Thus, it gets erect. That's, that's, the, that's symbolizing its consciousness. It then goes in and dives into the waters of the woman. All right? Which we'll say those are the sea waters. Eventually, that phallus has to die. The death of that phallus is when its substance is released, which is semen. And we all know that ejaculates, whether it's female ejaculate or male ejaculate, is salty, seawater. That is the story of Dionysus or Osiris. Osiris is broken. He's chopped into 14 pieces. Dionysus is chopped up or drawn and quartered. Broken. Broken means lame. That penis has to become lame in order for the, 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 the life-giving substance in it to be released. What am I trying to say here? If you're trying to make sense out of life or existence itself or the plight of black people, you have to understand these mythologies and understand how to decode them to see how these stories were left for you to understand these times that you're in right now and what our mission is. And our mission is merely to understand in order to get the life-giving properties, Dionysus has to die. Although he's a god, he is still subject to death. He has to die. Because by him dying, he gives up the substance that is key. And it's all about going back to the water. You come from the womb, you go back to the tomb, and those are still synonymous with water. That's the gateway, the seawater. Where that dragon came out of, the seawater, that is the doorway. The same thing that creates is that which destroys. Matthew 10 and 34 Jesus says, do not think I came to bring peace. I came to bring the sword. And the sword is that phallus. And when that phallus gets erect and then ejects its substance, then this work is done. Because now that is the mechanism of destruction right there. So, in a nutshell, our whole existence 
is one of failure. The mere fact that we have human bodies, we are all failures. We are cosmic failures because you had to fall down into a human body. You had to fall down into a cellular structure or jail cells or shells or hell. We're living in hell right now. And we are the lame gods. And the lame phase of existence is satanic. It is luciferic because it is where you're broken. But in your brokenness, you are refining the light. And that light that you're refining is alchemy. And you're developing this philosopher's stone. And that stone is the sword that Jesus says is going to He's going to bring to destroy. So I say, lame gods, it is now time to get up and walk. I'm sorry I don't have messages that, that, you know, I know it's popular to have something to tell you how you can go out and touch a doorknob and it turns into a million dollars or so I don't know how popular my message or my mode of teaching may ever be. And I guess to an extent I don't care because I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to do. Somewhere we got to tell just the truth, just the way it is, just the way it was laid for us. It was left the way we left it for ourselves. We left these secrets for ourselves to uncover because the same door that we walked in, we will walk out of this reality into our next paradigm. Lucifer, Satan, Christ, and the lame God. I hope this has made some sense. Once again, um, I encourage you you want to take part in this class, esoteric Bible class, where we go back and we recover the jewels that are hidden in that Bible, we reclaim this book, hit me up. We're going to start next month, hjrobinson360 at gmail. Um, also, if you want to get a, want to pre-order a copy of my book, The Lies Behind the Times and the Keys to Higher Consciousness. Also, hit me up, hjrobinson360 at gmail.com. The book is going to be $80. It's going to be the retail price. It is a scholastic monster. It's a scholastic beast. Um, But I am going to pre-sell it for $60 for those who are going to support. And your funds will go to help produce the initial um, run of printing. You're going to get your signed copy in person or in the mail. So, if you got any quick comments or questions, the line is open. 563-999-3738. Press 1 if you got anything quick you want to say or question. If not, then and uh, we're going to wrap this thing up and um, 
get on back to the business of putting our magic to work. Now that we discussed it, we have to put it to work. So if all hearts and minds are clear, you know, as I always say, stay down till you get up. And when you get up, stay down and, you know, just... I hope this was some form of motivation for somebody because, you know, we sometimes you need things put in perspective. And a lot of times we're wondering why. Why are things the way they are? Why is it this and that? And why things ain't working? And understand that, and this is not to be cliche-ish, it's a privilege to have the struggles that you do and be able to endure them. It's because of your greatness. Because uh, can't nothing be pulled out of something that ain't there. You can't squeeze blood from a turnip. So something got to be there. Something great. In order for you to be squeezed and something to be extracted, that got you've got to possess something. You got to have some essence. That is great. So keep that in mind as you move forward with your week. And stay down till you get up. When you get up, stay down. This is Brother Jamal, and I've been sitting in again for the good brother, Blackwater, the meta magician. Say again, peace to the whole First World Order family, Dr. Eileen Bay, his Queen Kadira, and, uh, Gonna bid y'all farewell and we'll holler again on the top side. Peace. Hip hop twenty three oh one. Real hip hop. Classes in session. Get your pad of filter. HJ Robinson. Yes up. Look, sucker, I ain't your butler, you help your porter, I bring the rucker, buck ya, I am perfect disorder, pecking order when you're challenging mine, you're not initiated, 33 steps behind, and my fans are not consumers, that's like calling them swines, they are intelligent listeners, none better you find, the spiraling vine like the kundalini snake inside, my spine enlightened mind, yeah, the light bulb shines, all night like motel six, no tricks, no gimmicks, I kick real life, no skits, that's it, this is HJ Generator, Operator, Destroyer, the Peace, so nigga those Cyclops employer, so prophetic warrior rise from the abyss. Fifth Ellie, closed fist, I exist in the dark. So my light can't persist, I'm on some SO. No so uh-huh. kitty rap, so no no. One verse is a college course when the flow the whole right. class shows. HJ <laughs> Robinson, yes sir. The album, Revolution. Get it now. Available on iTunes, CD Baby, etc., etc.